the moment I hit the stage and say my first word, all my nerves disappear. I'm just there in the moment with my audience. You're listening to Stand Out Get Noticed, the show that helps you communicate with confidence so you can stand out from the crowd and get noticed by all the right people. To subscribe to the show, go to thecmethod.com. Hi there, Rockstar, and welcome to episode 103 of Stand Out Get Noticed. Christina with you here. I'm super excited to have a very special guest joining me on the show this week. The last few episodes have been solo shows, so this is good news if you're a little bit sick of hearing my voice and you want to hear someone else on the podcast. My guest this week is Jocelyn Chia. She is a New York-based stand-up comedian originally from Singapore. Our mutual friend Joshua Spodek, who you heard in an earlier episode, I think it was 97, he introduced us when he heard about my somewhat terrifying experience doing stand-up. I think he realized that I needed a little bit of help in that area. <laughs> so Jocelyn used to be a lawyer and so I, so I wanted to learn from her how she transitioned from lawyer to stand-up comic and to learn about the challenges along the way and also how she deals with her own nerves and anxiety before a show. Now, to me, I view stand-up comedians as being some of the best public speakers around, so I was curious to hear Jocelyn's perspective on the whole public speaking experience. So whether you're thinking of giving stand-up comedy a go, if you want some tips on incorporating some humour into your own presentation, or if you simply want some inspiration on how to challenge yourself, this conversation will be well worth listening to. Show notes for this episode will be at thecmethod.com slash Jocelyn. That's Jocelyn spelt J-O-C. C-E-L-Y-N. Now, before we get to that, I do have a shout out for Mac Pritchard from the Find Your Dream Job podcast. He interviewed me on his show and it came out just last week. The episode is called How to Explain What You Do for a Living. And on it, I share my best tips for creating a powerful and effective personal pitch and how to have great conversations when you're out at networking events in the context of when you're looking for a job. So if that sounds interesting to you, I'll link it up in the show notes at thecmethod.com slash Jocelyn, or you can check it out at maxlist.org. Bit of a mouthful, Mac as in M-A-C-S list.org. Mac also left a lovely iTunes review for this podcast. So many thanks to you, Mac, and thank you for having me on your show. It was a real blast. Okay, and one quick announcement. Listen up if you get anxious and nervous around public speaking. I mentioned this last week. The Overcome Public Speaking Anxiety course is available for pre-sale. That's right. This is the course that people have been asking for. People say, oh, I get so anxious. I don't know how to overcome it when public speaking. So I've created a course based off that. It's a video program that helps you to overcome the five most crippling thoughts that hold you back from being a confident, effective speaker. In each lesson, I go deep into why we have this thought, why it holds us back, how to overcome it, and how to change your beliefs around each one. And each video lesson includes a powerful, actionable exercise to help you further banish those fears forever. That's correct. After this pre-sale, the course will be $39, but if you purchase it now, you will get it for $19. That's right, 50% off. It will be at this price until 48 hours after the course's release, which is on March 31st. So to register, 
Go to thecmethod.com slash anxiety course. That's thecmethod.com slash anxiety course. I will also link it up in the show notes for you. So get your hands on that while you can, while it's 50% off or yeah. Okay, enough from me. Let's move on and meet the very talented Jocelyn Chia. Jocelyn is originally from Singapore and is now based in New York. A lawyer turned comedian, she was featured on CNBC.com for winning the Gotham Comedy Club's Funniest Lawyer competition. She has been a guest comedian on the Howard Stern channel of Sirius XM and a guest host on MTV. She just filmed her stand-up television debut for AXS TV's Gotham Comedy Live, hosted by William Shatner, so you should definitely watch that one. She's also a two-time winner of the Moth Story Slams, which you'll also hear more about. Okay, hope you enjoy this one with Jocelyn Chia. Jocelyn Chia, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I'm really excited to have you. Oh, my pleasure, Christina. Thanks for having me. So you used to be a lawyer. That's right. Tell me, tell me about how you transitioned over to stand-up comedy. It was a bit of a long journey. I wish it was as easy as being able to tell people, oh, I was sick of the law and I quit the law to do stand-up comedy. But no, it was a bit of a process finding what I really was meant to do. After I, I left the law, I actually did this program called She Creates Change for Women in Life Transition. And by the end of the almost two months we had together, our leader made us throw what she called a calling party where everyone would take turns to sit in the center of a circle. And then all the women who had already known you for the past two months would just start start shouting out what they thought your calling was. And this one woman, her name is Anna, she said to me, Jocelyn, you're so funny. I play this game with you every time you speak in class and I wait to see if people laugh. And inevitably, every time you open your mouth, all the women will crack up. I want to see you do stand-up comedy. And it was like this <laughs> light bulb just went off in my head. I was like, yeah, I really want to do stand-up comedy. I never even thought of it before in my entire life. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, ding, 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 ding. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And right that night when I got back home, I had an email in my inbox. That same night invited me to a free seminar on doing stand-up comedy. I was like, this must be a sign. So I went for the seminar and it was a pitch selling a stand-up comedy class. And I signed up for the class. And I think within two months of that calling party, I was doing my first stand-up show at Gotham Comedy Club. Oh, my goodness. Within two months. <laughs> so at which point uh, – sorry, I missed, I missed that part. Like at what point in your – uh, legal career was this? Like how far in this were you? This after, is after I was done. Three years in and I left the law. I was actually starting my own business, um, but I wasn't too uh-huh. sure about it. Uh, it. It turned out to not have been the right move for me. But yes, this was after I was done with the law and kind of trying to figure out what was what I was really meant to do in life. Mm. And you'd come to, you, came, you went to the US to study, is that correct? I did come to the US to study. I did undergrad here as well as law school. Uh-huh. And so what was it about stand-up that got you hooked? You know, it wasn't right away, Christina, and I, I wish my intuition had told me right then and there after my first stand-up set that this is what you're meant to do for the rest of your life. But no, it was really slow. <laughs> I mean, I did a few new talent shows, but I remember telling my friend, mm, I don't think stand-up comedy is my calling. I just didn't feel... Like it was my calling. It took me another three years for it to finally hit me on a 
date with this guy who took me to see Aziz Ansari and I came to stand up very late I never even watched stand-up comedy I grew up in Singapore we didn't have stand-up comedy there uh, throughout college and law school I don't think I ever went to a stand-up comedy show and all of a sudden I was living in Boston I had a job there and this guy invited me to see Aziz Ansari I was like oh who is that he's like oh my god you don't know Aziz Ansari he's like the funniest comedian around I was like okay sure and I go and halfway through Aziz's set I'm crying and not tears of laughter, but emotional tears. And I'll say, like, why am I crying in the middle of a stand-up comedy show? And then my inner voice spoke up and it said, because this is what you really want to do. And I'll like, say, no. So then in Boston, I took a stand-up comedy class at the Improv Boston I hit my first open mic because um, those new talent shows in, in New York were, were three years ago. They don't really count. They're very different from an open mic. It's a very warm and hot audience. You probably think you're a better comedian than you really are at the end of those shows. <laughs> but I did my first open mic yeah. in Boston. And they're actually better for the most part than the New York open mics because they're more supportive. New York open mics can be a very hard place to grow as a comic. You may actually give up sooner than you should because it's extremely hard to, to get laughs at some of the open mics here. So, so you really have to know which ones to go to. But I started in Boston and I'm, I'm glad I did start in Boston because I came back to New York with more confidence as a comic. It was no more than three or four months in Boston, but it was enough to give me some level of confidence that mm. the open mics in New York didn't shake my confidence as badly as it would have had I started out in the open mic scene in, in New York. So that's why I say kudos for you for having survived your first open mic in New York and lived to tell the tale. <laughs> and you're actually happy with your set. That's very impressive. That's not common, especially not for a first set. Well, I wasn't, I'm not planning to be a stand-up comedian, so I thought for a non-stand-up comedian, it's, it was all right. <laughs> um, and I guess I didn't know any different at the time. If you told me that the audiences at the open mics in, in New York City were really bad, then I probably wouldn't have even gone on. So, um, you so know, tell me a bit. A good mic. I, I don't know which one this is. I mean, the Greenwich Village Comedy Club does have some good open mics. They're more supportive. Mm. Well, I mean, I, f I figured because I'm Australian, at least I'd be semi-entertaining just from True, just from the accent. accent. So no, you're right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me about your very first show. What was that like? The one where I, I took a class and did a graduation show? Yeah. Oh, that one, you know, I, I mean, not to toot my own horn here, but I didn't know it's actually not that common to be funny off the bat. I, I was admittedly really quite funny uh, at my first show so much so that I do remember the MC saying after I was done to the crowd can you believe that was her first time so I did well but I didn't know it was um unusual to do so well your first time I was like oh yeah you know whatever it's a graduation show I'm sure everyone does well but now that I have more years under my belt and, and seeing other people who are doing stand-up comedy at the end of a grad at the end of a class and it's their graduation show not do um necessarily even that well even with a hot crowd I was like oh maybe you know I wish someone had kind of told me hey girl you should really keep going you got something going there mm -hmm. it's not that it's not that un it's not that usual that people do so great and in, in their first try but I, I guess I didn't have anyone telling me that so I was like ah, no not my calling <laughs> <laughs> so what what do you think it was about you that made you more successful than most of the other people well again I, I, I'm Asian so we tend to be a little modest as you probably know um 
I think there's some, I, I do have a certain natural funniness, like how Anna mm. was pointing out, you know, when you're talking in our group during this class, people always laugh. And I've had that since I was a young girl. I'll say something and people will crack up and I'll be like, why is everyone laughing? And I won't know why they're laughing. And when I ask, why are you laughing? They'll just go, it's the way you say it. And so I think maybe there's something about the cadence, the way I express things, my expression. I'm not really quite sure what it is. I'm used to my set. Maybe you have a better idea. But I, I think there's some amount of funny that is natural and then mm. a very large part of funny that's developed and honed through sheer hard work and dedication. So I, I think maybe that first time I got lucky because I had that 1% of funny that's inspiration or natural um, without needing that 99% of hard work yet um, to get away with doing well for my first show. But now I know it's 99% hard work and 1% maybe mm. you're lucky enough to be born with it. <laughs> so have you always been quite confident? Hmm, no. I came, became more confident after coming to America. So I grew up in Singapore and it's a culture where, where children are... are seen and not heard and I was st always pretty outspoken though in class but I did get into a lot of shit for it I would talk back to my teachers or ask them questions like no why it should be this way why not that way and I got shut down a lot and I think that was a part of me that internalized it and so I, I became less brash um, but then mm. I came to America and oh my God, and you, in American colleges, if you speak up in class, you actually get participation points. So like you get awarded for talking in class. I'm like, are you kidding me? In Singapore, when I spoke <laughs> in class, I got cane. Okay. Like that's totally different culture. So I came to America and I remember getting penalized my first semester because I wouldn't speak up in class because I was so conditioned to thinking that we shouldn't be speaking up in class. So for a whole, I think maybe my whole first year, but you know, Asians were like, oh my God, this is affecting my grades. So I forced myself to speak up in class. And to my surprise, people actually thought I had good things to say. Um, they, they liked what I had to contribute so much so that even when I went to law school, I was one of the, the people who would contribute regularly in class. And so I think it was kind of a growing process from being taught to just shut up and, and sit still and be quiet and absorb information to coming to America and having the culture be, you know, we want to hear what you have to say, your, your ideas are valid. Mm, to the point that some people talk too much <laughs> and they're too <laughs> encouraged to share their opinions, but that's uh, the other end of the spectrum. Well, see, that's the sort of um, impression that we have of Americans a lot of the time. In <laughs> right. that, you know, oh, they're so loud, they right. talk too much, rah, rah, rah. And you can see how the, that Asian culture also affects people um, here in Australia because I remember when I was at university, um, you know, a lot of the Asian students, they don't speak up in class. Mm -hmm. And you think, oh, they're, they're really quiet when, when they're really not. It's just part of the culture. Like, cause in, I know in Asian culture, like, you don't, if you ask a question, it, it's like you're, um, defying the teacher exactly. and challenging the teacher. And that's not what you do in that culture. You don't challenge the authority like that. That's and, right. Um, you know, yeah. what was very impressive to me, though, about American culture is, and, and also actually in a way, this is a reflection of how much more outspoken I became. So after my first semester and I saw my grades were dipping, I actually raised the issue to, it was the French department. I was studying French and speaking out in class was part of your participation points and I got a zero. And I told the French teacher, hey, you're actually in a way um, penalizing people of different cultures who are not used to speaking up so much. You know, like, do you, 
don't you think there should be some leeway that takes into account maybe someone's increasing participation in class as the term goes on rather than expecting them to from that day one in class be mm. speak up in class when this is their first time in a culture where they're expected to speak up in class and the French department actually had an entire departmental meeting to consider my opinion I was like holy shit my opinion really matters <laughs> in America they had a departmental meeting <laughs> to see if I had a valid point and they should take cultural differences into account in determining the participation points that students get I was just blown away by this American culture and how valid one student's voice can have uh, in a department. And they didn't do anything mm. about it. They're like, no, we're, we're going to stick to our the way we do things because it'll be just too. I think I think it'll be just too hard to to take into all these factors, take all these factors into account. But the fact that they had the meeting and it was a valid point enough to call a meeting and to consider this was um was very uh, impressive to me. Mm, absolutely. I mean, I found that when I went to the US, I mean, a, a couple of years ago, I, I moved to New York City after I quit my job and decided I was going to do my own thing. Wow. And in, in Australia, we have this thing called tall poppy syndrome. Have you heard of it? No. It's the idea of when someone gets is successful or wants to be successful and they sort of start to, um, quote, grow like higher, rise up, we have to cut them down. So it means that in Australia, we're not good at receiving compliments because we don't want to see like, we don't want to seem like we're getting, you know, too big for our boots, so to speak. Um, and we don't often openly encourage people or um, praise them because we're like, oh, we don't want them to get a big head. We don't want them to get full of themselves. So we're very quick to discount our own achievements. And I found that- And also it was other people- yeah. And people might think that you're doing an amazing job, but they won't tell you. Interesting. Because it's, because it's like, oh, we don't want them to get a big head. But it's the exact opposite in America. And Hold when opposite. I went there, oh, complete opposite. When I went over there, I was I was like, oh, hey, so I'm Christina. This is what I do. I just quit my job and I'm here. And they're going, good for you. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Oh, we should speak to my buddy over here. And it's And everyone was just so like, happy to help and I'm going oh my god this is amazing I love these people they're so helpful I mean it's so interesting that Americans I don't know what it is like do they just have a very low bar for amazingness like when I went to college (laughs) (laughs) when I went to college like people will come back from a workout right they went to the gym and a roommate would be like oh you know how was your workout I mean first of all I would never even think of asking someone how their workout was. Like, what a boring question. It was a workout. But in America, you would ask someone, how was your workout? And the answer will always be like, oh, amazing. I'm like, how can a workout <laughs> be amazing? I have a really low bar for amazingness. You come some area and you ran on a treadmill. How amazing is that? <laughs> so amazing. And I'm going to go have a smoothie now. And that's going to be even more amazing. That's right. Everything's amazing. And you, when, when you ask uh, someone in America, how are you? You have to at least say you're good. If you just say fine, like you would in Singapore or Britain, they'll be like, oh my God, what's wrong? Maybe you're less than amazing. <laughs> that's good. Okay. It might come across as a bit of hyperbole, but it forces you to, to start thinking bigger, I think. Um, so Jocelyn, you're from Singapore. There aren't many Asian women in the stand-up comedy scene or that I have seen anyway. They're not many. Did you face, yeah, did you face any particular challenges during your journey? Actually, people do ask that. They ask about the Asian-ness. They also ask about being female. Some people do feel like being 
a minority or being female is a disadvantage, but I found it to be an advantage actually because then you stand out more. And <laughs> some of my white male comics do complain, oh, it's so hard being a white guy in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I just punch him in the face. <laughs> no, I feel their pain. It's true. I mean, it's so hard being a white guy in comedy because it's harder to stand out. I mean, bookers these days, at least the more uh, conscious ones, are very conscious about needing diversity in a lineup, right? And so because there are more white males in comedy, on any given day, they're going to have 90 white men to choose from on, on, for who to pick, the, pick on the lineup. And they can only book, say, eight comics, all right? They're going to need some females and they're going to need a minority or two. And so I have definitely been advantaged from having less of my quota to fill, to put it in um, <laughs> the, the affirmative action terms. Yep. So you're like, yep, no more Asian women comics. I've got this niche. I'm good. <laughs> I mean, there's still a fair number out there. Ali Wong, for example, you probably know she did the very famous a Netflix special while pregnant and I've known of her even beforehand she she was a New York comic for a while excellent comedian so there are definitely a few out there Margaret Cho of course was our um for uh, our godmother and there there are definitely a few uh and we are supportive of one another sometimes we do all Asian shows um I mean, Jenny Yang in LA she actually does a disoriented comedy show featuring all Asian comics so it's a good niche, and I think mm. it's quite quite a supportive community, actually. That's so great. I'm kind of so I'm half Asian. Do you think I could come over and and maybe half join? Yeah, I think that sounds good. <laughs> we'll, we'll get we'll get you on for um five out of the ten minutes. <laughs> you get a five minute set. The rest will do ten. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um. So so uh, you mentioned before we started uh, this conversation, you were telling me that um you still haven't watched your your television debut. Yeah, I'll probably never watch the- it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was on the Gotham Comedy Live with a show with Re- William Shatner. Right. What was that like? Oh, my goodness. That was um, it was one of those things that I've been wanting for almost a year before I finally got it. And, and it's one of those things that make you realize, you know how some people say, don't try to get something too soon before you're ready. When the time comes, it'll actually be just right. It really, I really felt like it was just right. You know, if I had gotten it six months earlier, my jokes may not have been that polished. It wouldn't have been William Shatner as the host. Mm. And just everything just lining up so beautifully. Uh, it, it was just a really great experience. I was nervous leading up to the show until getting on stage. So usually, I think in, in your... Uh, before we started the the recording, you mentioned that you wanted this podcast to be about sharing with people confidence tips. Is that right? And um, Mm. so what I have found is the fear is always before you do it. You're you're most afraid thinking about doing something than the actual act of doing it. And I don't know whether this has been your experience too, but the moment I hit the stage and say my first word, all my nerves disappear. I'm just there in the moment with my audience. Is this your experience too when it comes to public speaking? It's my experience with most things that scare me. Exactly. So I, yeah. yeah. Okay, great. So I, I'm not, um, this is not an unusual experience here. So yeah, exactly. So that was exactly what happened. I think maybe about two hours leading out to the time I had to get on stage. I'm like a ball of nerves, right? And then the moment I hit the stage and what some of my uh, most experienced comics would do, would, would tell me, and, and thank goodness for them, people like Michael Harrison and Michael Somerville who have been doing this 
know, 10, 15 years, they say, Jocelyn, you've done this thousands of times. I was like, really? Have I done this? And I was like, yeah, you're right. If Because I'm on stage at least one, once, once a day and it's been three and a half years. So that's at least a thousand right there. Okay, so it's actually more. So I'm like, yeah, you're right. I've been doing this a thousand times. And so he said, you've done this at least a thousand times. Just do what you know is already in your bones. Like it's already in you. Don't even think about it. Don't even worry about it. It's going to go great because it's in your bones you've done this so much so i think that's the other tip that i will give about developing confidence sure your first time you may like you said you were shitting in your pants during your first open mic but after your (laughs) thousandth time right even if you're nervous you can always tell yourself this is my thousandth fucking time doing this get over it you know um so i did it and then i caught off and my first thought getting off stage was I can't believe I pulled that off. I can't believe I really did. I can't believe I really was filmed on TV with William Shatner and did a a set that went perfectly well. You know, no glitch, no nothing. I didn't forget anything, no fumble. Uh yeah, it went very smoothly. Hmm. And I can confirm that because I watched it. Oh good, good. Because I haven't. <laughs> so great. You have to go watch it. <laughs> oh my God. I don't know. Maybe next year. Mm. Um, so you're also a winner of the Moth Storytelling Championship. Mm-hmm. Um, we, so uh, our mutual friend Joshua Spodek told me about the Moth and that he wanted to get back involved in it again. So I, I googled it and I found that we actually have it here in Melbourne. And yeah, so I'd love to give it a go. So can you tell me a bit more about how, like, what what is it exactly? Do you is it one story that you tell and is it meant to be humorous? So yes, you tell one story in the States, you have to put your name in a hat. It's very popular. A lot of people want to tell a story. So not everyone who wants to tell a story gets to tell a story, especially oh, okay. in New York, where it's very competitive and a lot of people want to do it. I'm not sure what the situation like is like in Melbourne. And if you do get drawn, there'll be a theme. And so you do have to tell a story related to the theme. Uh, one story. And no, you, it doesn't have to be humorous. Humor does help um and the moth audience is actually a much easier audience than a stand-up audience i've tried telling stories at the moth that people are just lapping up right cracking up rolling on the floor and i'm I'm like oh great i can take this to my stand-up and i do it in a stand-up comedy audience (laughs) and they're like uh okay what's next (laughs) you know it just doesn't translate for some reason so it's a very warm audience humor does go very well i have had a, a friend who has worn maybe five or six moths, I don't know, a lot. And he said the stories that he finds go that go the best and that tend to win are those that start out funny and so you're laughing along the way, but they end up poignant. So ah, that's okay. something that you could take away. Uh, I think that's a good tip. The one that I did mm. win, uh, let's see now. Yeah, there was some laughs along the way. Mm. But what it was wasn't my funniest story. Uh, it was a story about how I had gotten my bag stolen when I was on an airplane ride. And it turned out that the boy sitting next to me on this airplane, who was from Malaysia, had stolen my bag. And I found out because he went to Dartmouth and I got my cell phone bill and the cell phone numbers were a Dartmouth number. So it's just a story about how we, we tracked him down, figured out who he, who he was, got him busted, and how I had a moment where his life was literally in my hands. Okay, he's an international student at an Ivy League school. Dartmouth has an honor policy. If anyone's caught stealing or cheating, they are immediately expelled. All right. I mean, after going through some board of disciplinary action. Mm. Um, but I had proof that he did it, so I could have gotten him expelled. But not only that, he's an alien 
uh, he's, he's, he has alien status in America, right? And because he had used my cell phone, it was considered a federal crime. And so it wasn't just a misdemeanor of petty theft. It became a federal crime for using someone's cell phone that you stole. I didn't know that at the time. Uh, so the FBI got involved. And oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, which means if I had pressed charges, being, this being a federal crime, he would have been deported from the US. So I had this 21-year-old boy's literal future in my head. You know, he, he was an Ivy League student. He came from a good family background. I knew this because... In tracking him down, I actually managed to call up the office that he was interning at and his boss picked up the phone. Um, yeah, it is a really long story. My more story, obviously, with five minutes, you can't tell the whole details, but you're getting mm. the extra backend mm. information. So his boss told me how he came from a very good background. The boss was very surprised. Um, but yeah, so good background, Ivy League school. I could have destroyed this guy's life. And, and the stories about how I remember a time when... I had done something wrong and I could have gotten my future mm, at least just severely tainted by my own misdemeanor and I actually was forgiven. I got away with it and I was like, hmm, you know, maybe maybe it's better to to pay forward. The, the FBI agent did say he seemed very contrite and very sorry. I mean, maybe he's just a great actor. I don't know. Maybe he's like some <laughs> white-collar criminal now. Maybe he he did Enron. I don't know what happened to this guy. But hopefully, um, he took the lesson that I did when I was forgiven, which is like, I'm never doing this again. I swear I'll never do it. I, I actually had... Um, I, I stole this pen when I was in high school because my friend dared me to steal this pen and, and so that that's what happened and, and I got caught and I was like oh shit and I, I was I was let go I was forgiven right and so after that I swore I would never steal a damn thing ever again for the rest of my life and I haven't and I was you know I was just hoping that this would be his lesson too who knows he may be a big time crook right now but uh, it, it was with that intention that I decided to let him go free and not press charges mm. That's a great story. No, thanks. There's lots and lots of lessons in there as lots well. And lots of drama. Of I know so much drama, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last couple of questions, Jocelyn. Um, if someone wants to incorporate humor, some humor into a speech or presentation, do you have any tips for them? So not necessarily, you know, doing stand-up, but you know, as as you know, you know, stories and presentations are, you know, more effective when there is some humor sure. involved. So hmm. Wow, that's a challenging question. I don't actually know. Uh, how do I actually make something not funny funny? Hmm, I guess usually the humor in a speech would come from a personal anecdote that's by far the juiciest source of comedy in delivering a presenta presentation. So I guess whatever topic mm -hmm. you have, uh, the suggestion I would give is to find either a personal example. If you don't have one, ask around if anyone has a personal anecdote that you can then use tools like exaggeration with to make it funnier. If the, if the personal story isn't that funny, uh, you can use contrast. I thought it was going to be A, it turned out to be B. You can use your your emotional reaction because as human beings, we, we all go through the same emotions and just being able to join and identify with the emotional journey someone's going through can potentially lead to some humor, especially when there's that tension and then the release of that tension. So a lot of humor and laughter comes from the buildup of tension and then the release of it. And again, this is all very general tips and you know, it, it'll be up to your listeners to, to 
to make to connect the dots and see how they can put it into their own speech. But yeah, generally, uh, the emotional journey, tension and release, and getting personal and getting a personal example that can lead to some humor would probably be some of the tips that I'll give to spice up a presentation. Mm. And I guess delivery is actually very important because even sarcasm or relating something to a, to current events that everyone's talking about. A, a lot of people are comparing things to politics in America, especially with Trump being our president and sometimes comparing something that you don't see is related um, leads to a lot of humor, right? Like you, when you can mm. see people making an analogy that you never saw before uh, and all of a sudden, oh my God, I never saw the relation between Trump being elected and men sending me more dick pics, you know, something like that. <laughs> awesome cool so um so you you say that you're on stage every day you know now I try to give myself one day off I used to have it every day and then I did this it was actually more of a yoga program but she started looking at your life very holistically and she said even God had a day off so who are you to be more hardworking than God I was like okay uh, so now I do try and give myself one day off. So actually now it's more six nights a week. Well, your your Chinese name does mean hard work. Right? <laughs> it, <doesn't. laughs> it means, see, this is where I think my parents got it wrong. It means needs to be hardworking. I'm like, that needs implies, <laughs> yeah, which implies I'm nothing but a lazy ass who needs to be hardworking, right? So I'm just with this aspirational name, you should have just called me hardworking if you wanted me to be hardworking. I don't know what they were thinking. They actually don't speak Mandarin. They got a friend of theirs to name me my name. I'm like, your friend sucks, okay? What is your friend's name? <laughs> I think maybe he got named some, oh, uh, ugly boar or something. So now he's taking out on every other child that he gets to name. <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear my funny Chinese name story? I would love to. So, so my Chinese name is Kitching, which means, I think it means pure or something. But my grandfather spelt it wrong on my passport. <laughs> oh. So I'm officially Kitjiang, which I don't even know what that means. And I hope it, I hope it doesn't change the meaning, you know, completely. So anyway, I have an incorrect spelling on my passport. Uh, you That's know, my story. My friend, uh, her name is is very sad because her Chinese name is Sai Xiang. And because Chinese words can have one pronunciation with two different meanings. So, I mean, her, her name is intended to be some lovely smelling flower or whatever, right? But there's another meaning that has the name Sai Xiang, meaning fragrant shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Jocelyn, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Love speaking with you. Oh, it's been hey, a lot um, of fun. So if people are – so you do most of your gigs in New York City? Yes, that that's right. Yeah. So where can people uh, come and see you? Uh, I am most often at the New York Comedy Club. So let's see. Say, oh, this Saturday I'm in the Bronx. Most people don't really go out to, all the way out to the Bronx. But next Saturday I have two shows. Uh, this is March 25th, 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. at the New York Comedy Club. Fantastic. And can people find out where your other gigs are um, on your website? Once I get oh. my personal assistant to update my calendar, <laughs> yes. Uh, I am much more active on Facebook. I do post on Facebook sure, more regularly. Facebook. Yeah, so it's Jocelyn Jokes, J-O-C-E-L-Y-N-J-O-K-E-S. Uh, at Jocelyn Jokes is my 
Facebook Facebook page. Page, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so Thanks much. For yeah, you're most welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks to Jocelyn Chia for being an amazing guest on the show this week. You can find out more about her upcoming gigs at her Facebook page, which is Jocelyn Jokes. I'll also link that up in the show notes at thecmethod.com slash Jocelyn. That's Jocelyn spelled J-O-C-E-L-Y-N. Oh, and also remember to register for the Overcome Public Speaking Anxiety course. In the pre-sale, it's only $19. That's less than the price of, let's say, two margaritas. After that, it'll go up to $39. So make sure you register before March 31st. Go to thecmethod.com slash anxiety course. That's thecmethod.com slash anxiety course. And that wraps episode 103. Thank you for spending some time with me today. You are fabulous and I thank you for being so supportive. Keep on being awesome and I will talk to you next week. My name's Christina Cantors and this has been Stand Out, Get Noticed.